In my previous two sermons, I've been, I was teaching, we've, we've been teaching about equip, sin, serve, right? And this is our way of emphasizing what we here at Crossing think is important and should be emphasized for anyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ. Now, you can emphasize a lot of different things, obviously. And, and, and a lot of churches emphasize a lot of other aspects of life in Christ and life in the church. We've chosen this particular equip, sin, serve. And so my very first sermon I did, it was about God is ascending God. And we emphasize the sending part of the equation and that we are sent into relationships in our lives, not so much to particular places. And then the second sermon was about God is a serving God. And we emphasize the serving part of all that, that to those we are sent to are the very ones we are to serve. And so now hear that really, really, really well, all right? We have never been called to go out and preach, like to people, like as you sit around the dinner table with them. We've not been really called to come and tell them everything they're doing wrong. We've been called to serve. We've been called to love. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking like, well, you just have to tell them when they're doing things wrong sometimes. You just have to. That's what we're for. Well, I would have to disagree with you. I think that we're called to do that with other Christians, maybe. To go to other Christians and say, dude, that's just like inappropriate. And it doesn't smell well and you just shouldn't do it. I mean, like, for instance, the, the, the group that was picketing the community colleges and the campuses around here last year with God hates gays and everything. I mean, like, I only wish that I would have known they were there. And I would take a whole bunch of y'all with me and we would go and put up signs in front and say, God doesn't like these people. He likes you instead. (laughs) We're called to serve. We're called to love. Today, we're looking at God is an equipping God. Um, We would say that these aspects of church life here at Crossing, they help us to accomplish our goal of to be and to make committed followers of Christ. That's what we say our mission statement is, our purpose statement, you know, is to be and make committed followers of Jesus Christ. So now, let me just ask you this question. Why do you attend church? Why do people attend church, you know? There's the story about a newlywed um, couple. And the husband, you know, he's newlywed. And you can tell he's a newlywed because he was helping in the kitchen, you know. (laughs) That's just not true. That's not right, is it? It's really true, though, a lot. I'm sorry. (laughs) And so he's helping in the kitchen as a newlywed, and she's going to make the ham dinner and all. And she prepares the ham, and she cuts off the end, and she puts it in the pan to cook it. And he said, why do you cut off the end, honey? You know, like cheerful newlyweds are. And she goes, I don't know. Mama always did that. And so they kind of think, let's just call her up and ask her. And so they call up Mama. And they say, Mama, why would you always cut off the end of the ham? And she goes, I don't know. Your, your grandmother always did that. So now they're on like a trivial pursuit game here. And they go, Grandmom, why would you always cut off the end of the ham? And she says, because the pan was too short. <laughs> and so, you know, we do things often because we don't know why we do them. We just do them. Because that's what we've always done. And that's what our families have always done. And, and so, and, and matter of fact, you don't even, you're even hearing it all the time these days that the reason why um, our students and our young ones 
are leaving the church is because they were only here because their parents made them come. And that faith and that spiritual dynamic was never their own. And so that's a reason why some people come to church. But there was some research that was done, and I was really kind of surprised by it because that particular reason was one of the least reasons that those who talked about why they come to church listed. You'll see on the screen it says that, you know, 23% of those who, registered, who answered this survey said that they come for spiritual growth and guidance. And then others said it keeps me grounded and guided. Some said it's my faith and it's to worship God. Some said it's the fellowship of the members, it's the community, you know. Others said because, and they just had, it was a very broad answer, I believe in God, I believe in religion. That's what you do if you believe in religion. I guess that's what they're saying. And then there's that one about, well, that's what I've always done. That's what we do. We go on Sunday, you know. I don't guess that any of those answers are really wrong. I don't, I don't guess they're wrong. But I would hope that as a, as a member of this church family, that we would grow in our understanding of Scripture, we would grow in our understanding of even um, of our church culture, where we would answer something out of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So open up your Bibles to that passage there, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. We've talked about this passage before, and we'll continue to do so because it's important And those who know these things, you know, I don't know who they are, but those people who know these things, they say that something does not become, like, embedded in us until we've heard it X amount of times, until we've done it X amount of times, and and then it begins to become who we are, and it becomes that that answer, we, we go there immediately. We as a church family, I would hope that we would come to this place where we would say that the reason you come to church is to equip the saints, now, that's right there in the passage in Ephesians 4. Let me read it, this text to you. We're going to start in verse 11. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, catch the equation. Paul, you know, I don't know if this sentence would really pass in school anymore because it's like, to me, it's really long. But so he starts and he says, God gave these people to the church, pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, so that they could, verse 12, equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs in the fullness of Christ. So, why? what is the purpose of church then? Go back one, Bill, for me. The purpose of church then is to equip the saints for the work of the service, to build up the church, to attain unity, to bring people to spiritual maturity. To attain, to bring people to spiritual maturity. One church states it like this. The pastor teacher is to equip and train the saints so the saints would go forth throughout the week serving Christ, making known his gospel, building up fellow believers. So what I hope that crossing folks will say when they say, well, why do you go to church? I hope that they would say to be equipped. To be equipped because that's the way God set up the church. That's what his intention was. 
But this definition is really different than what a lot of people think church is supposed to be about. In many, 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 many churches, some of you grew up in these churches, in many churches, the idea about what Sunday mornings is about is to get folks saved. Amen? Is to do an altar car at the end and have the flocks flood down the aisles to pray for salvation. Did we see that in the passage? In many churches, the idea about who does the ministry is that the preacher does the ministry. Did you see that in the passage? In many churches, the idea about who is the minister is that the pastor is the only minister. You know what I'm going to say now, right? Did you see that in the passage? Many churches or Christians believe that full-time ministry is only for the seminary-trained Bible geeks that use really large theology words and are grossly disconnected from the real world. And that's not true either. Well, I mean, there are a lot of pastors who are Bible geeks, and they use a lot of theology terms, and they're grossly disconnected from the world. But that's not in the passage either. The real point is that the statement is that the saints... That those of you and those chairs out there are in full-time ministry. That there is, because I might get a paycheck every two weeks, but that is a paycheck in this world. We are all in full-time ministry, and there is another paycheck coming that is much grander, far more valuable, far more richer that just sets our imaginations on fire to understand that in the next life, we will be rewarded for what we've done in this life. Sunday services are not intended to be evangelistic meetings. Instead, they're intended to be training meetings. Now, if someone walks in and you bring a friend here and says, you know, you ought to come to church with me, it doesn't matter, that's fine. But you just need to understand that if you want to make crossing your home, you need to understand that when you come here on a Sunday morning, that while we will share the gospel and we'll talk about who Jesus is and we talk about what it means to come to Christ and all like that, that 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 person that you might be bringing to church to say, I really want them to hear the gospel. Well, I'm just a talking head. They're going to believe you a lot better than they will me. The place for our friends to hear the gospel is over the backyard fence. Is over your $4.50 coffee at Starbucks. But I'm not saying anything about that. You know, the place for them to hear the gospel is in the parking lots, on the bleachers, in the coffee room. The place for them to understand that Jesus came and, and, he, and he died for the sins of the world and that anyone who chooses to believe that that's the way that they can deal with their sins the way that people come to understand that message is when you sit down and explain it to them. But if you've never been trained or you've never made that training available to yourself, that's a missed opportunity, isn't it? Some people, when we have shared the gospel, you know, sometimes people say, I've heard that a lot. I'm kind of tired of hearing that. Well, when everybody knows it really, really well, we'll stop talking about it. But i got to tell you something. I absolutely think it's amazing that anyone could get saved by listening to me sometimes because it's a hot mess. And I think it is with a lot of us. 
things come out of our mouths and we walk away going, uh, I don't know if that made any sense or not. I'm glad the Holy Spirit's at work there because I'm not sure if I said all the right words. Well, that's a great thing that the Holy Spirit is at work. <laughs> don't worry about that. What have, I been, what have we been saying for the past several weeks? Open your mouth. And God puts words there. And sometimes they're really words that you've never used before. But God will use those words. As weird as they may seem. As weird as they may seem. So Sunday morning is not really an evangelist meeting. And the ministry is not done by the pastor or someone that's with a seminary degree or has a really lot of useless vocabulary. You know, 99% of ministry is done by the people in the pew. That's actually you guys in the chairs here. 99% of that is all done by y'all. So let me just ask you something. If that number is true, how much ministry might be being missed or might be being done because of what you're doing or not doing? If 99% of the ministry, or if the bulk of the ministry, I don't know what the number is, you just put a number up there. That's not based on research. Um, But if the bulk of the ministry is done by the person who's sitting in this chair, and 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 this chair, well, you know what? If all of them are doing ministry, and this chair's empty, no one's doing it, we're getting a lot of ministry done. But what do we think the real percentages are? You know, you know, in your heart of hearts, how much of that percentage you're carrying that weight yourself. But see, we've talked about this in the context of sending. We've talked about this in the context of serving. And then we'll talk about this in the context of equipping. Is that if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you are sent whether you want to be or not. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, you are supposed to be serving whether you want to or not. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you're supposed to be getting equipped whether you want to or not. That's what you're supposed to be. That's what you're supposed to be. I mean, it's like working at Chick-fil-A and not saying, my pleasure. You just can't work at Chick-fil-A and not say that. And as a Christian... You can't call yourself a Christian and not be sent or not serve or not get trained or equipped. It just doesn't work that way. It's not what God intended. If, if ministry was left up to me or the staff or just the elders, very little is getting done. But if we have a church full of people who know who they are, that they are that they are called of God, adopted into the family of Christ, forgiven of their sins, living apart from shame and guilt, putting that behind them, even having God taken all of their shame and all of their guilt and all the bad stuff they've ever done in the back of life, that he forgives all of that stuff when people come to him. That he forgives all of that. And people walk in newness of life. And they say, you know what? After I came to Jesus and had my sins forgiven, I slept for the first time. In years, because that's what I've heard from you. 
if people live in that and, and begin to grow in that, and if they're understanding that every single one of us are full-time ministers on the job 24-7, 365 days out of the year, imagine the lives that would change. Imagine your life changing. Imagine the hurt that can be healed, the truth that can be told. Eternity is altered for boys and girls and men and women who trust Christ and grow in Him and become mature in Him and are mentored and are discipled and then mentor and disciple others who are younger in their faith. Transformation happens. The kind that is undeniable. That's why the stories last Sunday morning that were told out there at that baptism tank are so important. Because you know what? Someone can come to me and they can argue with me all day long what they want to and then they can say, that is not true. That right there, that right there, all that stuff, dude, what are you reading that for? I guess if you like literature and you just have time on your hands, you want to read that. That's perfectly fine. Read it then. They can argue about that all they want. But you know what they can't argue about? Is that a year ago or two years ago, you were an absolute jerk. And that's a nice word for what I'm thinking. You were an absolute jerk. And then you started talking about Jesus, and you started going to church, and you started reading this book that's not true, and your life began to change. They can't argue with that. They can't argue with that. They can't say, your life's not different. You're still a jerk. Well, I don't know. They can still say that. But if everything about your life says otherwise, they have to say, well, you're right. You are different. How do you think that happened? Oh, it was the Bible. It was Jesus. No, it couldn't be that. Okay. Maybe not. But it was the Bible and Jesus. They can't argue against that. I've only got one story to tell. In this room this morning, there's about 180 stories to tell. And all of those stories have value. And all those stories have significance. And all of those stories are about changed lives and and the meaning of Jesus and the reality of the Bible and how much it does change a life and how much a relationship with Christ is really true. And that he's just not another Buddha, but that he is alive and has a dynamic relationship with those who seek him and desire that. They can't argue against that. You remember, we talked about it. You are sent. But once you arrive in that relationship, you need to have a story. And that story is your personal relationship with Christ and how real he is in your life. Grace is offered to those who make mistakes but repent and seek to make amends with righteous living. It is a crying shame that so many people think that to come to the church you got to get cleaned up first. I was recently with a friend, and they had very, and we did this too in the past. Is it weird that when you hire a cleaning person, that you clean the house before they come? Let me just tell you something. Coming to Jesus is nothing like that. 
because he'll come into your house just as dirty as it is and say, this is fine with me. I can work with this. You don't have to clean up your life to come to Jesus. You don't have to clean up your life to come to church. I am so sorry if that's what you've been told. I am so sorry if you've been told that certain behaviors or certain looks or certain tats or certain dress or any of that stuff is not accepted in the church. I heard just recently about a church that made a certain subset of their attendants sit in assigned seats because they were afraid they couldn't trust them. I'll do this because I think I know these people well enough. All of our addicts sit over here because they like each other, not because we make them. We love them dearly. And I am so grateful for them. And some of y'all belong over here. You're just not sitting here this week. I know about you. I know about you. You do not have to hide your tats to come to church. You do not have to hide your old story to come to church. You don't have to clean yourself up to come in here. Matter of fact, this is the honest truth. The messier we are, the better we're doing. There's no shame coming in here and saying you're gay. There's no shame coming in here and saying, I've cheated on my husband. There's no shame coming in here and saying, I'm pregnant without a husband, without a wife. Well, you wouldn't be present without a wife. Well, you could be anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I guess all of that applies. I'm still getting used to the new new, all right? The new normal. You don't have to come in here and say, I'm ashamed of that. Each of us have been given grace for our stink. And we need to be extending that same grace to the stink of others. And when we realize how offensive we are to God and how much he still loves us anyway and extends grace to us and forgiveness, we realize that we have to do the same thing to others. Even if we don't understand how they got there, that's not what we're called to do is understand how they got there. Our job, our job is to find those who have fallen and extend grace to them where they are, not where we think they should be. Not where we think they should be. That's what the church is supposed to look like. That's what it means to live in grace. If you read this passage, continuing on through chapter 4, catch some of these details in the passage. I'm just going to be skimming through here, so, you know, uh, stay up, all right? We're going to trot through here. Chapter 12 says we're supposed to be equipped, the saints, for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ until we attain unity and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man who measures in the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, every person is supposed to come in the church to be equipped 
And that equipping should amount up to that person being mature in Christ and gradually over the course of time. And some of us, it takes longer than others. I mean, that's okay. We're not, we're not, it's not a race here. But some of us, it takes longer than others to look like him. That's what that passage is talking about. And as a result, we're no longer children tossed around by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine. In other words, what it means is you come into the church and like as you mature, you're not, you're not scared. You're not, you're not messed up by every new thing you hear. You're like going, this is the truth right here, brother. I know what that is out there. I know what they're talking about. I know what they're blogging about. I know what they're posting on Facebook. Here's the truth. This is what we know is true. But speaking the truth in love, not something we're good at. Mm-mm-mm. Not something we're good at. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head Christ. We're supposed to fit together as a whole body, verse 16, held together by every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual, each individual part. We're to not walk in the way we used to walk. We're not supposed to walk in the darkness of our sin and everything that we used to be. We're supposed to be different. Verse 22, in reference to your old life, lay that aside. That's what we're supposed to be like here in the church. We're supposed to be becoming trained, equipped, being sanctified in such a way that that old self is really old and not just recent. Verse 22, that we will renew in the spirit of our mind. Renew our mind. There was an article this week that came out that says, you are what you read. Let me tell you something. If you're here as a Christian and you're not changing, but you're not reading this, that's why. You are what you read. So you've got to read this. And I've got to just say, so many, I hear so many people say, you know what, I just don't like reading. Gosh, I don't know what to tell you then. I don't know what to tell you then. I think you have to start liking reading. Or in other words, I think like so much of the rest of life, you have to do stuff you don't like and be in the Word. And be reading. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth. That's twice it's come up in this passage. Speak truth, each of you, with his neighbor, for we're members of each other. He keeps going. He says, be angry, don't sin. Don't give the devil an opportunity, verse 27. In verse 28, he says, stop stealing. I hope you're not doing that in our church or anywhere else, but stop it anyway. He says, work hard. He says, verse 29, don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only those things that edify and encourage others. Verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Be kind to each other. Verse 32, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That's what we're supposed to look like. How does one learn all this? How do we get equipped and trained one day seeing that we are more mature mature in Christ than we were before? We do it in the way that Christ did it, for one thing, in relationship, speaking truth to each other, studying the truth, in small groups, Bible studies, personal study, personal devotional times, reading books, discussing those books, applying what we're learning, obeying what we're learning. The older, mature Christians giving to the younger ones. We're at a very interesting place in our church where we have some of you who are mature. 
That's a nice word for what I'm thinking about you, okay? We have some of you who are mature in Christ. And we have these other people who are growing in Christ. And we need you to be connected to each other. Either one-on-one, one-on-two, or in, in a small group somehow or another. We need you, older Christians, mature Christians. Our younger ones need you. They need to hear your failures as well as your victories. We need to be intentional. You have to set a course. You have to ask for input on that. You have to be about trying to be discipled. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you have not earned the right to sit back and watch the others struggle or fail. Quite the opposite. We as older believers, we have earned the right to give away what we've learned. If you've only been a Christian for a short while, then now's the time for you to be jumping with both feet. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Here at Crossing, we offer several Bible studies and small groups for you to take advantage of. There's at least 12 of them, and we could add some more. There's a new ladies' group began last Monday night. There's another ladies' group beginning next Friday morning, right? Next Friday morning. There's a new Sunday school series beginning next week, right? Sun, um, Sunday mornings downstairs in the, in the East Wing Hall. There's at least 12 of our groups that currently exist. We need another group in Levittown. We need a host home to work from for that. We're beginning three new equipping classes beginning October the 5th. We're offering a class on spiritual gifts. If you want to know how God has built you, how he's made you, then you can take a class to learn about that. Scott Brubaker is going to be teaching that. We're going to be doing a class on the Discovery Bible Study, uh, the M28. Some of you are familiar with that. We want, really, we'd like for most of our small group leaders and Bible study leaders to sometime or another to attend a, a training in the M28, the Discovery Bible Study. I know that our young married group is doing that now. And, and are you guys liking that? Someone say yes, please. Even if you, I, it, you don't have to really like it. Just say yes right now, okay? Let the other people hear you say yes. Okay, that's great. Really, I think everyone's really convinced now. Okay, good. <laughs> wow. All right, all right, great. And, and then also, um, last, last January, we had Tim come and speak to us in that apologetics training. And, we, and a lot of you bought this book, The Tactics. This, I'll be doing um, a series on this book, Tactics. We'll be working our way through it, talking about it, studying it and stuff. All right? So you right now, and, and this is where you can take out your connection card. You can see on the back of it, you can sign up for the classes. You can do that right there, all right? What it means to be equipped, it means to be completely prepared and ready to be used for the task at hand. Completely prepared and ready to be used for the task at hand. You know, years and years and years and years ago, my sister-in-law, Betty's sister, was living in Manhattan. And we would go into Manhattan and go to Easter with her back in those days. All the kids were little. We didn't have many kids. It was a lot easier to do all that. And, and one time, Marianne says, I'm going to this new church. It meets the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I'm going, wow, that's interesting. And she goes, well, it's just getting started. We meet on Saturday nights there or something. I don't remember. They met at some weird time. And so we go. Um, that was the beginning of Redeemer Presbyterian, Tim Keller's ministry. If you're not familiar with Tim Keller, he's, he's uh, pretty dynamic. 
And so later on, Tim Keller says, we're going to start doing service this way. After the service, anyone can leave who wants to, but I'm going to stand in the aisle and answer any question anyone wants to ask me. This is New York City. There's a lot of people who ask really hard questions. And so it's an auditorium, a university auditorium they're meeting at Hunter University. And so he stands there, and Tim has a smaller Bible than I do. I don't know, that doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying he does. And this is what Tim Keller does all the time. He has a small Bible. He does this with his Bible all the time. He rolls it up and he talks. And I, and I told Betty and Marianne, I said, y'all go get the kids. I want to see how he does this. Because nobody can stand there at an open mic in New York City and answer any question people walk down and ask him. I'm not going, people just don't do that. And if they do, I bet you he's going to say, oh, come and talk to me about that later. He'll just pass off the hard ones and answer the easy ones. And so there he stood, this bald 50-something-year-old man. Not that being bald is anything, guys. It's okay. This, you know, he's standing down there, and they go to the microphone. They're lined up at microphones. And they come, and they start saying, Mr. Keller, is it true? Do you really believe that all those who have never heard about Jesus are going to die and go to hell? And I'm thinking, oh, that's great. Let's see how he answers that one. That's going to be really hard. And I'm like going, wow, that was a great answer. And he did that time after time after time after time. He answered the questions with Scripture really well, with thoughtful answers, meaningful answers. He didn't just say, oh, that's a great question, you know. Someone as dumb as you would probably ask that. Let's go to the next question. He didn't do any of that kind of stuff. He really engaged them honestly. And you know how he did that? Because he was completely prepared and ready to be used for the task at hand. He had applied himself for years, and not just because he's a pastor, because there are many in his church and some of you in this church who could do likewise. He had completely prepared himself so that when he was in a situation and he needed an answer, it was somewhere tucked in the back. Or he knew that when he opened his mouth, God would draw out of him whatever he had been taught sometime earlier. That's what we're looking for out of us. Out of us. Is that we, we take advantage of the things we offer here at Crossing. And you want to know something? You would not offend me at all. Matter of fact, it would be quite flattering if I had someone come to me and go, dude, you need to step up because, like, you're not offering very much here. You want to know something, though? I've never heard that yet. We need to be hearing from you, like going, you know what? That class for an hour for six weeks is really weak. You need to step it up. If you're really going to equip me, you need to offer a little bit more. I'd love to hear someone say that. Let's do it. Let's rock and roll, baby. Because we want to be those kind of people who want to be equipped and who want those opportunities. And if we're not doing that for here, if we're crossing, and you think we're shirking, you know, shrekking, uh, shrek, shrek, we're avoiding our, op- our, our obligations... We're avoiding our obligations. By all means, you need to be at a church that's taking care of that for you. When you're trying to decide, on you, when, when you guys are deciding on a new church, you need to be asking us, are we going to equip you? That's what you should be asking us. You, test, you say, are you going to equip me? Because that's what God wants me to be done is equip. And if we go, well, uh, 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 you say, that's great. You guys are really nice people. You have nice desserts. We're going to go to another church who will do that for us. We need to be equipped. We need to be equipping you. We need to be doing a better job of that. You need to be pushing us. We need to be working together for that. All right? Okay, let's pray.